This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Second Kings chapter 6 and 7 will provide just kind of the backdrop for our, our thoughts. Uh, this past Wednesday, early in the morning, and, and kind of my routine is I like to come to the office early just to spend time with the Lord before anybody else starts coming around or the phones start ringing or anything like that. And, and so Wednesday morning, I was just uh, spending time in prayer, just kind of meditating on Scripture. And my mind went to some people in this church that are up against what probably most of us would call impossible situations. And I've already referenced them, but the Badger family, uh, just having lost Gary during surgery this past week. And, and Bonnie, I don't know, you were in such a turmoil right then, but I, I talked with you, what, 30 minutes or so after Gary passed, and, and, and you said, Joe, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? After being married 53 years or whatever it was, life without your best friend just uh, seems impossible. And then I thought of those with cancer, and, and there are several in this church. I know there have been some incredible medical advances uh, People have seen the cancer going to remission, yet I think that word cancer just strikes fear into even the strongest of the strong. I think of the situation that I've been mentioning on Sunday mornings. Uh, both parents of someone in this church, they have uh, the COVID-19 virus. They live in another state, and both were critical condition, unresponsive, <clears throat> unresponsive, seemingly with no possibility of recovery, and thankfully Robert's mom She's not out of the woods, but doing better. Uh, his dad, he texted me this morning, and Robert says, my dad's no change. Just no, we're not sure he's going to pull through. I think of another situation, uh, a parent <clears throat> in this church uh, whose son appears to be hopelessly enslaved to drugs with little chance that he'll ever come out of it. I, I think of several, and, and there's kind of a stigma uh, attached to this, and there shouldn't be, but Several that have what is classified as a mental illness, and that doesn't mean that they're crazy. It's just that there are issues that they're dealing with, emotional and, and uh, deep-seated issues, and it appears that it will never allow them to have a normal lifestyle. Other people struggle with money. <clears throat> they don't have enough to make ends meet, and, and for some, yes, it's their addictions, and or they don't know how to handle money. Their thinking is, you know, make a buck, spend a buck. But for others, they just don't have the income. It seems so impossible. Others are carrying unforgiveness. And, and I could mention some names, people that I've seen for years. And, and, and honestly, those of us that are looking on, I, I, we're beginning to wonder if they will carry, carry that bitterness, that unforgiveness to the grave. I could go on with other situations where, where people are, are, are facing seemingly impossible problems. Well, in our lesson today, we will look at a situation that was as hopeless as any situation you could ever think of. It was not a situation where you could say, well, you know, tomorrow's a new day, it'll be better, or, or, or next week will be better. No, this was a hopeless situation with zero chance, zero chance of anything turning around. In fact, the king's right-hand man, and, and this would have been uh, with the people of God, you know, God's people, and, but, but the king's right-hand man said this, even if God tried, and I'm paraphrasing this, even if God tried, 
He could not fix this situation. It was that hopeless. But as we will learn today, never say never. For your toughest situation, for, for your disease, your wayward child, your addictions, your mental illness, your depression, your financial situation, never say never. Because, this sounds funny, but God loves impossible situations. Because they provide the platform for Him to do an incredible work. Now, we're going to go to a very bizarre story. You know me pretty well by now. The stories in the Bible that seem to capture my attention the most are those bizarre stories. It's probably my warped personality for some reason. Salvation didn't cure me of being warped, but when I read one of those strange stories in the Bible, stories that are not typically taught in kids' church nor even in big church like this, when I read those stories, I'm driven to find out, it's almost like I'm obsessed. Why did God put that bizarre story in the Bible? Today's lesson um, will involve Elisha the prophet. Some of you would remember that there are two men in the Old Testament with similar names. One was Elijah, the other was Elisha. Now, Elijah was an incredible man of God, and, and Scripture attributes 16 miracles to him, probably the most famous miracle being when he faced off with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. If you've been to Israel, you've probably stood on, on Mount Carmel. That's one of my favorite places in the entire country of Israel. You stand on top of Mount Carmel, and the, the Valley of Jezreel, Megiddo, where the, the last battle of Armageddon is going to be fought right there. You're looking over that beautiful, lush, green valley, but you're on top there, Mount Carmel. Well, Elijah's protege or understudy was Elisha. Before Elijah died, Elisha asked for a double portion of the anointing that was on Elijah. And, and what's interesting is that whereas Elijah performed 16 miracles, Elisha did receive a double portion of the anointing and ended up performing 31 miracles. You say, well, that's not twice. 31 miracles during his lifetime, plus one other really strange, and since I'm using this word a lot, bizarre miracle after his death. And, and just quickly re reviewing this last miracle, it has nothing to do with our lesson, but it's just an awesome story. But after Elisha died, his remains were put into some type of cave. Sometime later, we don't know how long, and you can read about this in 2 Kings chapter 13, but there was a funeral procession, and, and they were carrying a man's body to the burial site. And all of a sudden, they spied a band of up-to-no-good raiders that were coming towards them to do them harm. Well, initially, th those guys that were trying to carry that man's uh, body, probably six to eight guys, maybe 180 to 200-pound body, that they were trying to half-run, but you know you can't go very fast. And, and when they saw this band of raiders gaining on them, they know they're in deep trouble. And all of a sudden, they see this cave. And they say, there's no way that we can get away carrying Uncle Johnny. Or whatever his name was. The Bible doesn't say it was Uncle Johnny. But, but the Bible says that they pitched. Actually, the word is they threw his body into this cave so they'd go faster. Well, 
the scripture says that as the, as the body touched Elisha's dried up bones, this man that had been thrown into that cave came to life and stood up. Wouldn't that be awesome? And again, I'm sorry, in my own warped way of thinking, I've always had a couple of questions. The first one is, what did the men do who had been carrying him when he came back to life? What did they do? Probably first thing they had to go change their clothes, but uh, probably shouldn't have said that. I may get fired over that. But, I, but, but, you know, I bet you, and I know you're not supposed to bet, but I bet you they had no trouble outrunning the Raiders at that point. <laughs> this guy pops up. They think, we're out of here. But another question I had, and I know this is warped as well. <laughs> yes, warped. Do you think anybody ever tried that again? I mean, we would have. I mean, if you would have pitched Uncle Johnny into a cave and he came back to life, don't you think you would have tried that with somebody else? You know, maybe not with your mother-in-law, but, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. My mother-in-law watches us, so I love you, Mom. I'll be getting death threats. Uh. But, but the next person that you really cared about that died, don't you, don't you think you would have tried the same thing? You would know, pitch Aunt Sarah into, into the same cave to see if they would come back to life. But enough of that. I'm sorry you had to listen to that today. That's just not very, very good. But anyway, with this miracle, um, that made 32 miracles that were attributed to Elisha. We're going to study one of those miracles that I believe will be of tremendous encouragement for those of us that are facing impossible situations. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24. Sometime later, however, King Ben-Hadad of Aram, now some of your Bibles may say of Syria, same, same people, mobilized his entire army and catches and besieged Samaria. Now, back in this day, the only way that an opposing army could take a walled city was to surround it and starve it out. And so armies would come, they would cut off the outside food supply, they would divert the water supply, and it generally would take some time, sometimes up to a couple of years, depending on how many emergency supplies they had stored in the city. But, but slowly and surely, the, the city would be brought to its knees, and the Bible called this process besieging a city, cutting off water, cutting off food. Well, in our lesson, this had gone on long enough to where by now the city was hungry, Let's read about it. Verse 25. As a result, there was a great, as a result of this besieging, there was a great famine in the city. After a while, you think the cost of our groceries is high? After a while, even a donkey's head sold for two pounds of silver. And a cup of dove's dung cost about two ounces of silver. So there, there was such a shortage of food that a donkey's head... And, and a cup of dove's dung brought a premium price. Now, I, I know your reaction is one of yuck, because I, I doubt the menu for your lunch today will include either one of those foods. I, um, you know, I've, I've traveled a lot, and, uh, you know, when you go to another country, I, I'm very sensitive. I know some people are picky eaters, but I try to eat what they eat. And uh, so to keep from offending people, I've had a lot of different types of food, and yes, I've eaten donkey. Um, I'm not sure it was the head of a donkey, but I, I, I've had donkey. I've had other less than appealing foods. But 
I can't say that I ever remember eating dove's dung. I, I've had foods that tasted what I, what I think dove's dung might taste like. But to my knowledge, I've, I've never eaten it. And Now, let, let me just say in fairness, there are a couple of commentators that feel like dove's dung was maybe a grain that was similar to corn. And uh, another commentator said it could have been referring to the root of a plant. But, but really, most commentators feel that when the scripture talks about dove's dung, it's referring to dove's dung. But anyway, to pay premium price for the head of a donkey and a cup of dove's dung shows us how hungry the the city was. And and back a few years ago in the country of Haiti, and and we have a strong church there, that they were eating dirt cookies. And and so, you know, when there's hunger, sometimes you do, do things that you feel are unthinkable. Now, when it comes to hunger, most of us don't know much about it. This past week, I missed a couple of meals back to back and I thought I was hungry. In, in fact, Faith, there were a couple of times, and of course, I knew what I was speaking on this week, and, and, and a couple of times Faith said, oh, I'm starving. I said, no, you're not. Um, you know, the, uh, there have been a few occasions I've gone up to 10 days without food, and, and this wasn't because I didn't have any food. This was by choice, and, and I thought I was kind of hungry at the end of those 10 days, but I don't know what real hunger is. Um, But in the world today, there are some people that know real hunger. An organization called Bread for the World says that 2.6 million children starve to death every year. And 805 million people deal with hunger issues every day. And and it's hard for us to understand that. that, You know, this past week, you know, even... In our community, we, we do have some people that they're not necessarily starving to death, but they're hungry. And someone has come by the church on occasion that um, would be a homeless person, and, and on occasion we try to give some food. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's just tough for me to imagine. You know, sometimes I'll ask them, well, do you have any food? And no, I, I don't. And I know sometimes people, you can't trust what they say, but... I, I, I tend to believe him. Um, so, so there are some instances like that, but as a whole, America is the, the, the land of, of plenty. But, but let me just insert this. H- having said that, that even though America is the land of plenty, there, there is a serious famine going on in our country. And the Bible refers to this in Amos chapter 8 verse 11 says, The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land. And listen, here's the type of famine, not of food, not of water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. America is experiencing that type of famine. Even, you know, even though most of us here, if if I would ask you, well, do you own a Bible? I think every hand would go up. Do you own five Bibles? Probably most every hand would go up and I think if I would get up to 20, probably some of us, and I think in our household we would have 20 different Bibles, yet there's still a famine of hearing God's Word. Well, back to our account. There's hunger in the city, and look what this hunger led to. One day the king was approached by a woman in verse 28. The king asked, okay, what's the matter? She replied, The woman proposed that we eat my son one day and her son the next. 
The, the hunger in the city had caused people to resort to cannibalism in the very worst way. Two moms had come up with a plan. One day, one mom would provide her child as, as food for these two families. The next day, the other mom would give up her child as, for food. And, and I know for us, that's unthinkable. That, that, that's disgusting. But we're not hungry. Some of you would remember back to 1972 when a plane crashed in South America in the snow-covered Andes. Nearly half of the 45 on board were killed on impact. And this actually wasn't too far away from where we were living. And um, several others were killed, you know, due to the elements and, and an avalanche that hit them. But for 72 days, so, uh, you know, you've got over two months there, two and a half months, they were stuck high in this isolated Andean mountain range. And, and, and you can Google the story, but far from remote villages. And this wasn't just like a 14er, guys, in, in, in Colorado where you, you just come down the mountainside and there's civilization. But here you were in the middle of a range, and so you had to cross over one mountain and then go down and cross over another mountain. And, and you, you know, this went on and on. And and snow, that's all snow-covered mountains without high elevation, without proper equipment. Well, after several weeks of this, they were facing literal starvation. And, and, and this week, I just kind of went, went back and, and reread this. I've read the book on it. It's always fascinated me because I was, you know, of course, not too far there in, in South America. But uh, they began thinking there, the survivors, how, how to stay alive. And they were confronted with the option that's unthinkable for us of eating the flesh of their buddies that were perfectly preserved in the snow. And they said that because this bothered them so much, and these were mainly Catholic people, and, and uh, they would go out in the snow and they said that they would kneel every day, day after day, and pray to God, God, what do we do? And here, here is life-giving protein from our friends, but God, would that be pleasing to you? Would you forgive us for that? And they resisted as long as they could, and and eventually, to stay alive, they resorted to what in their minds just a few weeks earlier would have been unthinkable. Finally, after 72 days of this, three of them were able to endure a several-day climb up and down, up and down several snow-covered mountains and found a man on horseback who was then able to contact authorities, and 16 of them lived to tell the story. Now, as we talk about this, this is revolting to us. We, we can't comprehend the matter of cannibalism. But, but there's a scripture, just quickly, and then I want to get back to our account, but in a way, some of us are cannibals. Paul, in Galatians chapter 5, gave us a warning, and this is what I call Christian cannibalism. Because he said, if you keep biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. There are a lot of brothers and sisters that backbite and turn on each other, devour people's reputations and character. In a sense, that's cannibalism. But, but here in our, our, our scripture, the, the cannibalism was, was real, it was literal. They were eating human flesh. So what happened? Well, the deal that these two women had of eating one child one day and the other child the next day hit a snag. In verse 29, she's telling the king, so we cooked my son and ate him. 
The next day I said to her, this other lady had a deal with, give up your son so we may eat him. But she had hidden him. So she's telling the king, you know, we had a deal and, and I kept my end of the bargain and we ate my kid yesterday and according to our agreement, we're, we were supposed to eat hers today, but she's hidden her child. And so king, please make this lady keep her end of the bargain. How did the king respond? Verse 30, when the king heard this, he tore his clothes in despair. And, and as the king walked along the wall, the people could see that he was wearing sackcloth underneath next to his skin. May God kill me if I don't execute Elisha, the son of Shaphat, this very day, the king bowed. And so what he did, his reaction, is exactly what we do. That the, the king tried to take his frustration out on an innocent person, and that was Elisha. And the strange thing is that Elisha was the most likely person who could help the situation. But instead of going to him for a word from the Lord, the king said, May God kill me if I don't execute Elisha this very day. Can I just make a little application here at our country? You would think that with this pandemic going on, now over 100,000 dead in our country in four months alone, you would think that with the riots even reaching our state, you would think that this would drive people to God. You would think that the world would be asking, is God trying to tell us something? But what are we doing? What are we doing? We're blaming. We're blaming the Chinese. We're, we're blaming President Trump because his response was not adequate. We're, we're blaming the lack of test kits. We're blaming people who, in our minds, are not careful enough. They're, you know, they're spreading the virus. They're not whatever, wearing masks or whatever. We're blaming the government, saying they're just using this to get control over us. There's something about us that when we face a problem, when we face a challenge, our first response is to blame, and that's what the king did. And instead of humbling himself and praying and seeking God, he blamed Elisha and said, he's going down. I'm going to kill him. Well, Elisha heard about the death threat. How did he respond? Second Kings chapter 7, verse 1, Elisha replied, hear this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. By this time tomorrow in the markets of Samaria, listen to this, five quarts of fine flour will cost only half an ounce of silver, and ten quarts of barley grain will cost only half an ounce of silver. Now, wait a minute. There's a severe famine. Very little food, the price of a donkey's head was two pounds of silver, cup of dove's dung, two ounces of silver. But here Elisha says something so crazy. He says that by tomorrow at this time, food will be so plentiful, it will be at bargain prices, five quarts of flour, ten quarts of barley will each only cost half an ounce of silver. That's way less, yeah, way less than what a cup of dove's dung was bringing. Now, here's the question. How did Elisha know that something overnight would take place to where food all of a sudden would become plentiful and would be at a bargain price? Have you ever wondered how did, how did Elisha know? Because here's how he knew. Elisha knew God. Elisha was in daily contact with God. Elisha was in daily communion with God. And and he knew that God had a plan to take care of his own, which, by the way, God always has a plan. 
Remember when Abraham thought he was going to have to sacrifice his son Isaac? But the moment that Abraham started up the side of that mountain with Isaac, on the other side of that mountain, a ram started up. Abraham didn't see the ram, but God did. And he had a plan. And when Elisha said there would be plenty of food, what happened? Well, God had a plan. And did everybody start singing the doxology? You know, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Or they were excited, God is so good. No. That wasn't the reaction. Remember, I referenced the king's right-hand man early in our lesson. And here's exactly what he said in verse 2, chapter 7. The officer assisting the king said to the man of God, that couldn't happen. Meaning food being available at cheap prices. That couldn't happen even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. In other words, not even God could cause this to happen. This is hopeless. Would you, would you be honest here? Um, how many times have you felt that way? Have you ever felt that way? I have. How many times have we felt that our marriage was such a mess that not even God could turn it around? How many times have we thought, you know, my kids are so messed up, so far from God that not even God could change them? How many times have we thought, you know, my relationship is so bad with this relative that not even God could heal it? How many times have we thought, you know, my financial situation is so horrible that not even God could turn it around? Well, look what Elisha said to this officer who said God couldn't even deliver us from this situation, finishing out, or there in verse 2, jumping in. Elisha replied to this man, the king's right-hand man, you will see it happen, but you won't be able to eat any of it. You will witness it. But because of your skepticism, and some of you need to hear this, because of your cynicism, you won't get to enjoy any of it. You know, did you know that unbelief, and today we don't use the word unbelief that much, we call it skepticism, cynicism, but Do you know that unbelief withholds God's blessings from us? There's a saying, and I realize that most of you are, you're not old timers, but the old timers used to say this, pray and believe and you'll receive. Pray and doubt and you'll do without. Well, meanwhile, outside the city walls, a conversation was taking place between four men foremen that were lepers. And back in those days, people with leprosy had to social distance. And if allowed into the city, they had to yell, unclean, unclean. But actually, most of the time, they were just quarantined outside of the city walls. And so listen to the conversation of these four lepers who had been quarantined. Verse 3, now there were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. Why should we sit here waiting to die, they asked each other. And so they started looking at their options. We will starve if we stay here, and, if we, and we will starve if we go back into the city. So we might as well go out and surrender to the Aramean army. If they let us live, so much the better. If they kill us, we're going to die anyway. So that evening, they went out to the camp of the Arameans and listened to this, but no one was there. 
What, what had happened? Well, for the Lord had caused the whole army of Aram to hear the clatter of speeding chariots, the galloping of horses, and the sounds of a great army approaching. So sometimes you think that your spouse is hearing things. Well, they were hearing things. The king of Israel has hired the Hittites. That's what they thought. And the Egyptians to attack us, they cried. So, so they panicked and fled into the night, abandoning their tents, horses, donkeys, and everything else. And they fled for their lives. Well, the lepers went into the camp, discovered the food, and now here's the question, what would you have done? You've been kicked out of the city because you're disgusting. You've got leprosy. You're unclean. It would have been natural to have said, well, you know what? They've kicked us out. Let them suffer. This is our secret. This is our lucky day. But that's not what they did. They said, this is such good news. We, we can't keep this to ourselves. We, we've got to share it. So they went to the city to tell everyone what they had discovered. The king figured this was a trap, so he sent out some scouts and found out that it was just as the lepers had said. And, and listen to this scripture then in verse 16, jumping into that verse, it says, so it was true that five quarts of fine flour were sold that day for half an ounce of silver. Ten quarts of barley grain were sold for half an ounce of silver, just as the Lord had promised. And so what happened to the king's right-hand man that said that could never happen, even if God would do his thing, it wouldn't happen? The king appointed his officer, this guy, to control the traffic at the gate. <laughs> but he was knocked down, trampled to death, as the people rushed out. So everything happened exactly as the man of God had predicted when the king came to his house. So here's what just really kind of hit me this week. It's interesting that this event that brought the blessing to God's people, listen, was the same event that brought judgment to the cynical and skeptical man. You know the rapture? That's going to bring a blessing to God's people, but it's going to bring judgment to those who don't know God. The, the preaching of the gospel is a blessing to those of us who are saved, but will be God's method of judging the unsaved because the Word of God is a sharp two-edged sword and it cuts both ways. So as we um, come in for our landing, let me just kind of make a couple of application points. This lesson is a serious warning against the sin of skepticism, cynicism. Be very careful about being cynical towards sacred things. Sacred things such as God's word and God's promises, God's commands. Be very careful about treating them lightly. But this lesson is also an encouragement to us and helps us understand that God can change situations. God can change people even when it appears that those situations and those people are hopeless. So would you just listen to this and encourage us that your family situation is not too dysfunctional for your God. You know, it encourages us that your kids are not too lost for God. 
You know, your spouse is not too messed up for God. Your work situation is not too complex for God. Your addictions are not too enslaving for God. And there may be somebody that needs to hear this. Your depression is not too deep for God. Your health issues are not too severe for God. There's no situation that is too big for God. So, never say never. Your impossible situation provides a platform for God to show His power. And and this is not a name it, claim it gospel. I don't believe in that, but it is a gospel of hope. It is a gospel of power. It is a gospel where God can turn impossible situations around. So this morning, as we wrap things up, would you bring your impossible situation to God? As we close, I want to pray, and, but would you bring that impossible situation? Ask God to do something that you can't do. Ask God to do something that your doctor can't do. Ask God to do something that your pastor can't do. Ask God to do something that your therapist can't do. Ask God to do something that your government can't do. Ask God to do exceedingly above what we can ask or think or imagine. Would you bring that situation to God right now as we pray? Lord, we just come to you right now. We want to thank you that nothing is too big for you. Nothing is impossible when it comes to God. Lord, I want to pray for those situations that are being brought to you right now. I believe that there are dozens of situations, whether it's here, those that are watching online, that they're bringing to you, situations that maybe they've been praying for for years, maybe losing help and hope. And God, I pray that you would just give them hope right now. And Lord, I ask that this week, some of those impossible situations would be turned around. Lord, I pray that there would be some kids wayward kids that would be brought back to the fold. I pray that there would be some messed up families that would be reconciled. I, I pray that there would be some people that are just mired in depression. Lord, that they would begin to see the light of day and just find their encouragement in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that there would be some financial situations, some people that are maybe destitute and need a job, that they would find that job this week. Lord, I pray that there would be some people that would find the comfort after having lost a loved one, that they would find comfort this week. So God, I pray that as we go begin our week, that you as the God who loves impossible situations, because you work in those situations, I pray that you would be making, that you would make a way through the sea, the Red Sea, across the Jordan River. God, that you would just bring us the desires of our heart. So, Lord, we pray this in the strong, the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. Just remain seated. Uh, Miss Tessie has a couple of things she would like to tell us before we go. Good morning, guys. This week, I've been studying the book of Daniel. And while it's a book that I've heard lots of the stories, it's been cool to see how God reveals new things as I read them again. 
this week in Daniel chapter 1 already, I can see how Daniel wanted to bring God the glory, no matter what he did. And even, even to the point of, since he's, since Daniel's been taken captive, and he's being trained and, and taken care of by King Nebuchadnezzar to be part of the Babylonians, David is doing his best to not, well, to stay with God, right? So he even says, I am not going to eat the king's food. He says, just give me fruit vegetables, water, because in the end, the king realized it wasn't his food that made Daniel strong and wise and powerful. It was Daniel's God. And that reminds me of a verse in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. And it says, so, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So it's my hope that this week, no matter what we do, whether we eat or drink, no matter what we say or do or go, maybe even what we listen to or watch, may it be for God's glory. I hope you guys are happy and blessed and safe and healthy and know that I am praying for you, and I hope to see you soon. See you guys. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com, or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.